Before we pray, I'm going to let you guys know we will be in John 20 today. So if you'd like to turn there. Um, The reason why we're in John 20 today is because I kept wrestling through what do we what do we talk about after Easter not because I didn't know what to talk about but but after you get done with Easter you begin thinking well there you go <laughs> and then and then we were going to come into a series on the Holy Spirit and I was I was studying it last night and I realized well there's there's like this time after Easter even in the life of the disciples where um where it's very easy for us to think well Jesus rose from the dead go do it and yet there's this time frame for them where not all of them are on board, right? And they, they are struggling severely with doubt. And so it's not like, Easter, yeah. Like, I don't, Aaron, I don't know, sorry, if, I don't know if you get that, but it's like, eh, like kind of sharp. Do you guys hear that? Okay. Well, I hear it over here. Thank you. Maybe I'm just hearing things. I'm struggling with doubt about this. Um, so the, the disciples after Easter weren't these guys who all of a sudden all got it. And I think sometimes we can be deceived with that notion that all of a sudden all of them got it. And so let's pray together and, and we're going to look at how we deal with doubt because they had to deal with doubt. So pray with me and then we will, we will dive into this. God, your, your grace is so good to us because um, you talk to us about all the needs of our heart, not just our need of, of love and affection, maybe when we know how to receive love and affection, but maybe we're at that point of going, um, is this for real? And you speak to us even at that point. So God, I pray that this morning as we dive into your word, God, that we would just be able to to receive it. I pray for those who come this morning and and maybe they even heard the songs being sung earlier and they were going, man, I like the words, but my heart just doesn't affirm that. Um, God, they would be able today just to see that you speak into that also. God, and for us maybe who come and we're just ready to worship, that we'll know how to be just loving and merciful and just support those maybe who are doubting right now. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at a couple snapshots to begin with of, of what the disciples were going through and the people that gathered around Jesus when um, after his resurrection he spent about 10 days with them. And so turn with me really quick to Mark 16. And there's three verses in particular we're going to look at in Mark 16 that perhaps aren't that triumphal air that you would hope right after the resurrection of Jesus. So in Mark 16... In verse 8, you have these women who just saw the angel, uh, and he told them he's risen. Um, And then it says in in verse 8, he says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Right? So you have these women who, who just saw this angel, and this angel is like, Hey, Jesus is risen. And he ends, and I actually read this last week, he says, there you will see him just as I have told you. And it's like this very confident, like, go, you're going to see Jesus. And they leave, and it's not like, everybody, like, Jesus is alive. It was like they left, and they were, they were terrified, because they just were entrusted with the biggest message ever. And they didn't share it with anybody. That, that, that was the first people entrusted with the gospel message, right? Jesus is risen, and they're just freaking out about it. If you go down to verse 11, um, it says, When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe. So the message is starting to get spread, right? 
People are sharing it with one another. And what's happening? People are disbelieving it. It's not like this is being moved from one person to another. It's not like it's a wildfire. It's not like it's a, a YouTube sensation, right? Where people are like, you got to watch this. It's like, I'm not going to tell anyone that because that's crazy, right? A couple verses down, verse 13, it says, again, they returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. <laughs> There's a pattern here. And it's not a pattern of belief yet, right? It's a pattern of, of doubting and disbelief. Um, in John, which is the verses we will be looking at, 20, I just want to, to focus on the first two verses here, where it says, Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Right, they're passing on the message. Jesus is alive. And says, but, when, but he said to them, Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So here again, a disciple of Jesus who walked with him, heard his words, right? Jesus even talking to them about being put to death and rising from the dead. He heard the message and he didn't believe it. Matthew 28, which we remember as the Great Commission. The Great Commission starts with a very, very interesting verse. Um, Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And this is verse 17. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is there, like giving them this awesome commission of going out and telling the whole world about him. And you have in this group of people some that doubted. What do we do with that? And, and what I find so encouraging about this, you're just like, where are we going? Right? What I find so encouraging about this is that the Bible talks about doubt. The Bible isn't presenting itself and being like, uh, I can't believe you don't get this. Right? The Bible is a good comforter, and it's acknowledging that not everyone's getting it. And oftentimes in the church, when we all gather together, we gather together and, and we try to pretend oftentimes that everyone gets it. You guys know what I mean? Like we get together and we're like, this is going to be a really great worship time if everyone pretends like they get it together. Right? Everyone pretends like we're just good. And everyone on that day is just experiencing the peace of the Lord and acknowledging that Jesus is risen from the dead. But the, the truth is, Right? Even when we gather here on a Sunday morning, many come, and perhaps from the experiences of their life, or just the experiences of the week, or just the experiences of this morning, they're going, I don't even know if this is real. And the amazing thing is, this is dealt with not just before Jesus died and rose from the dead, but this is being dealt with after it. Because we, we might be able to give the disciples some grace, like, like, okay, you haven't seen Jesus like rise from the dead yet, so you're cool, like after he rose from the dead, you know, you're going to be golden. But here you have people who Jesus is giving his last great commission to, and they're, they're going, I don't know if I can buy into this. And this is, this is part of the gospel message is that the gospel message is going to all those and all those people means even those that don't right now even believe it. The gospel is being preached to do to you. So really quick, defining it, what is doubt? Um, doubt very simply is the feeling of uncertainty. And, um, and that seems like a really simple definition, but the word feeling there is huge. And there's a helpful quote by a young adults author. Um, usually they have the most helpful quotes. 
um, a guy named John Green, and this is what he says, which helps us with this feeling of uncertainty. He says, maybe there is something you're afraid to say or someone you're afraid to love or somewhere you're afraid to go. Then he says this. He says, it's going to hurt. He goes, it's going to hurt because it matters. And this is why doubt and even just this feeling of uncertainty is so profound is because it matters, right? If, you, if you're like eating pizza and you doubt that it's a good pizza, who cares, right? I'm going to be like, I doubt that this has, you know, I don't know, right? But like, that doesn't matter. But when we come to issues of the faith, right, when we come to issues of, right, doubting especially if you're here, and you're here because you realize that, that everything you've tried, everything maybe the, the natural world's offered you, or all these other philosophies, that, that, that just doesn't work, but you're here and you're like, maybe, maybe God has something to speak into my life. But you're here with doubt. That's a very profound feeling of uncertainty, right? Because right now you have no other place, perhaps, in the world to stand. Perhaps you as a Christian are going faced with the question of death to a certain extent. It might be because someone died in your life or you're just wrestling with that and you're like, what is in the hereafter? Right? And that gives you a profound feeling of uncertainty. Right? Perhaps like the disciples, you had put all your hope in a man that just died and, and, and you were like, you had fully bought in and then he dies and then you're going, okay, he's back. <laughs> but he died last time. <laughs> and you're going, how do, I, how do I interact with this? And, and we feel this so profoundly, and the Bible is speaking into this. And I want us just to be able to dwell on this and say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say to the doubter? Because um, we have dealt with it really poorly. We've dealt with it really poorly because... I think either we've dealt with it in the way of we've just tried to shut up the doubter. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that or seen that. It's like the person with the doubt has a disease and you're like, just don't let them around my children. <laughs> right? Or we feel like with doubt that we're the people that just have to be like, no matter what I think, I just have to like recklessly believe, right? Without ever having certainty. And those just aren't good ways to go. And I think, I think the Bible deals with it in a very different way than that. So what does it say? Well, this is where we enter the story of, of uh, Thomas in the book of John. Thomas um, forever will bear this name, right? Thomas uh, the Doubter, or Doubting Thomas. Um, not a nickname probably you'd want to have. But this is why, because this story that was shared, Jesus at this point, as it says in the beginning, that he'd, he'd showed up to all the disciples, but he hadn't shown up to Thomas. And if you're Thomas, you probably would feel a little left out, right? Because Jesus had shown up to everyone else, and they're all excited about it. But, but Thomas wasn't about just to buy into it, right? And we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Thomas was somebody who... I think he'd been hurt so profoundly by the crucifixion of Jesus. He'd been hurt, get this, he'd been hurt so profoundly by the crucifixion of Jesus that he wasn't ready to believe anything. And we'll talk about that. And so when everyone comes to him, starting in verse 24, again, he's not ready. And so it says, Now Thomas, we read this before, called Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, this is the cool thing. So he said, peace be with you. And then, and then he kind of changes the direction of his whole conversation and just speaks to Thomas. Right? Out of all of them, he just focuses on Thomas. And he says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, simply this, he says, my Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So how does this help us? How does this help the doubter? Five observations I have for you guys. But as I, as I come into these, I will... I just want to share with you guys really vulnerably for a second. Like, uh, Probably the hardest thing in my life, in my faith, has been... Um, there's definitely been like dark times for me but I think the darkest times and even times I doubted the most were when I was with people who really doubted profoundly. Does that make sense? So um, the times I think I had the hardest was when I was with somebody like really in there and I, and I so wanted to like empathize with them that I was like, I need to doubt with them. And so I, I shared in that and, um, and it, was, it was a... And if any of you guys are there, like it's a really, really... Um, dark place, and I think that's because doubt is by nature corrosive, which means that doubt doesn't offer you anything, it only takes from you. Does that make sense? So when you're doubting, doubt isn't building a foundation for you. All it's doing is taking away the foundation that you have had or have built in your life. Um, And so that's a tremendously scary thing, because it's actually something that Megan has shared a couple times that Ben has shared with her, is that he, he has told her, uh, you know, spend time with people that add to your life, not just take from your life. Right? There's, there's people that will kind of be, you know, they'll, they'll be there and they'll take things, but spend time with people that are building that foundation also in your life. And when someone's uh, severely struggling with doubt, it's very hard because it's so corrosive that it can, it does, it can, it can really corrode relationships even around them because, because oftentimes it's really, um, it's really bred and continued on by a real severe cynicism where you just don't think anything, any answer is possible. So, um, so it is something that is very serious, and I hope that we can deal with uh, in a very serious way here. What I'm not going to do is try to answer everyone's doubt, because that's impossible. Right? There are questions that there are not answers to in this life. Okay? And, and we have to know that from the beginning, that... that Coming out of doubt isn't being omniscient and knowing everything. If you think that is what it means to come out of doubt, you will never come out of doubt because you will never know everything. And so coming out of it isn't about knowing everything. It's about knowing true things and holding on to those true things. Does that make sense? So if we are stuck in that place of doubt and constantly going, oh, I need to know everything before I can make this step, you will never take that step, and you will always live in the place of uncertainty and cynicism. Okay? And so, so as we respond to these, I'm not going to pick at certain doubts and go, okay, this is how we get around that one. I'm just going to go, <laughs> as Jesus comes to John and deals with his doubt, I think, I think it provides us the framework to look at all doubts from. And the first observation is this, that, that John is, or sorry, not... Thomas, I probably keep calling him John because it's the book of John. Thomas is doubting, first observation is this, in the presence of faithful witnesses. And this is really important to see. So Thomas isn't just kind of out by himself, like unaware of what the answer might be. He's actually spending time with people who are faithfully telling him something that is true, but he's choosing not to believe it. Some have seen, and yet Thomas has not seen, and they've conveyed a true message to him, but he has chosen not to believe that. And, and so, being in the place, and if you're in the place of doubt now, especially, I really want you to grab a hold of this. Being in the place of doubt does not mean that no one has an answer. It just means that you don't. Okay? Because there's, there's a real sense of isolation in doubt that Thomas even here felt. And he felt this so profoundly that he just refused to hear what anyone else was saying. And for those who are the faithful witnesses, speaking... 
on both sides, both for the faithful witnesses and the doubter, it's, it's a feeling of tremendous, tremendous helplessness. Because how do you begin hearing an answer, right, when your heart is so closed off to it? And how do you offer an answer when you know that that person has heard it before a thousand times? And that, that is right where, that is right where Thomas is. What doubting requires at this point, if you're a person who truly is seeking an answer, is humility. Um, and and that, that is very hard. And the reason why humility is so severely hard when you're in the place of doubt, follow me here, is because when you are doubting, you feel like you cannot go any lower. But humility is lower. Does that make sense? So when you're in a place of doubting, you think you have stripped all the foundation away, and you are in this place where you are just, all the, all the, all the way to go is up, right? Answers up. But the place of humility is going, I'm going to go lower and admit that I'm, and get this, I'm going to doubt my doubts. And that is huge. That's the place of humility. Because those who never get out of doubt are those that believe so strongly their doubts that no one can speak into that. Does that make sense? Right? So you're like holding on to your doubt, and you're like, and this doubt is giving you nothing. Right? Have you ever hugged someone, and they're just like... <laughs> and you're like, they're not giving me anything. Right? That is a doubt. It is taking from you, and yet you are clinging to it. Right? And going... And, and because that is the only thing you know, and the only thing that's, and the weird thing is, it's the only thing you're like you're certain of at that time, and yet you're holding on to it. And the only way out of that is humility to say, "I'm going to doubt my doubts and realize that my doubts probably are wrong because they have taken everything from me." Okay. And for those who are faithful witnesses, it requires also humility. And primarily, humility realized that you don't have all the answers. And you might not have it. In, in faith, it could be, right? For the, the message of those bringing it to Thomas, it was a very simple, he is risen. They didn't have much more to add to that. I don't know how it happened, right? <laughs> don't ask me. I, I just know he, I saw him. <laughs> He's risen. Um, and you might not have a lot of answers beyond that, that single certainty of truth, Right? But it, it takes humility because there can be a real arrogance that ostracizes those who are in doubt. And it sounds like this oftentimes. If someone who is here doubting, and, and I got up here and I was preaching and I said, how can anyone not believe in God? Right? That would be arrogance. Because there are times when I struggle with believing in God, right? I, I am a human like you guys, Right? And praise God for the certainty he has given me by his grace, right? But all of us, all of us are people who are, are human, and only by grace are we saved. Only by grace do we enter. And so the humility to realize that, that I know some things for certain, but there are other things I don't know. And that the arrogance that we we give, I think, ostracizes terribly. I'm, I'm just going to share this one because I think, I think this is really helpful and it shows the stupidity oftentimes of Christians who try to help. Um, when people are struggling, say, they've read, read, read Genesis and there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff, creation science, right? And people are like, how did everything begin? And, um, and when, when a Christian goes, and I've heard so many pastors say it, they, they stand up before people and they're like, <laughs> like we all came from apes, right? Like, that answered anything for anybody. Right? No, that's actually not the argument that people of science are giving. So, so we also, as people giving answers and talking through it, have to have the respect to have a conversation. Right? Not just going, not making fun of, huh, people came from apes, right? But, but can we have a, a considerate, thoughtful dialogue? Yes. Absolutely we can 
But it takes you also going, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to be a thoughtful person. And, and because, we're going to deal with this later, but because of this, a lot of Christians aren't ready for when the doubts come because they've lived with cheap answers. Right? And so when a doubt comes, they're just, they're just as pushoverable as anyone else. Right? Because they're not living thoughtful lives. So God is calling us to ultimately be people who love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so when those doubts come, our heart is healthy, our mind is healthy, our souls are healthy, our strength is healthy, and we're able to stand against those things. Does that make sense? So be people ready, guys, because doubts will come against you. So as a faithful witness, be humble, but if you are a doubter, also be humble. Second observation is this. Thomas is, or Thomas has become a stubborn naturalist. And this is what I mean by this. Thomas seems incredibly defiant if you read this passage, right? All his best friends have one united message He has risen, right? All of his best friends have one message. He has risen, and he is not believing them. That's incredible. And this is the reason why. And I showed this a little bit earlier. I think the crucifixion literally broke Thomas. I think it literally broke him. You know, it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. I think when, when Jesus was struck and Thomas scattered, we just don't see, we don't hear from him until this point. And he is a broken man at this point, not ready to invest in hope at all, because hope has absolutely failed him. Right? He had put all his hope, he had put all his hope in Jesus, and then Jesus had died. And so Thomas, who we're calling a stubborn naturalist, means this, right? That Thomas has put his foot down and decided that miracles and anything other than what his hands and the work of his hands could show him and get for him, anything other than that doesn't exist. He won't believe it. Death, he believes, is the final and even the tragic ending of all humanity. Right? He doesn't believe that someone, even Jesus, could be raised from the dead. Why? Because the crucifixion broke him. Right? And, and I, I want you guys... It might, it might be hard to track if I use words like naturalism, right? And this possibly is a little more philosophical than I usually preach. But I, I want you guys to follow me here because this is the way most of us live, is, is we don't believe that anything extraordinary or miraculous can happen, right? The way Bertrand Russell, one of the famous atheists, put it, death is the final ending. He says, no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can persevere an individual life beyond the grave, right? That that is, for most people, the final ending, right? Because there is no way anything supernatural exists. And so when we talk to people who are of this mindset, or if we own this mindset, that means that when we come to the scripture, we will never believe it because we just don't think it's possible at all. Does that make sense? So it's just a different worldview. So, so the Christian is going, God created the world and continues to speak into that world. And he can still do things with that. He can radically change your life, right? And he can do miracles in this world still. One being the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That that happens. But if you're a person who doesn't believe that a God exists or that there's anything beyond flesh and blood and dirt... Right? And you hear someone go, a man raised from the dead. You'll go, that's absolutely impossible. Just because your worldview limits that. Right? It just says that cannot be included in, in reality. And so Thomas is a natural at this point. Right? He's, he's going, okay, at one point I saw Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I appreciated the ministry of Jesus because I saw him give sight to the blind. I saw him raise the dead. I saw him feed 5,000 people, right? I saw people who were lame walk. I saw people who were oppressed be freed. He saw all these things. And, and follow, 
this place right here. Because this is huge. He saw this, but then something happened, right? And for some of you, this has happened, right? That you at one time believed in the miraculous, believed that was possible, believed that, that even yourself, your broken heart could be healed, and then it was broken what seemed to be finally. And then you are like, I, there's no place in my life at all that, that something miraculous, something supernatural could happen. I'm a naturalist. And that happened to Thomas when Jesus was crucified. He'd followed Jesus because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And when Jesus died, he said, there's no more Messiahs, there's no more religion, there's nothing. And so that's the man that we're faced with here. Does that make sense? So he has faithful witnesses catching us up to where we're at, faithful witnesses speaking into his life, and then Thomas himself going, guys, I love you, I'm spending time with you, but I don't, I don't agree with you. And because of this, third observation is this, that Thomas was and felt like the odd one out. And, and when I speak with people who doubt, or I'm even in a place where I'm just having a hard week, having a hard time praying, right? Who do I want to be around? Probably not people who are speaking faithfully into my life, right? So Thomas here feels odd when I've talked to people even recently who have been really challenged, and they're like, man, do I, do I believe this? And, and they're like, they're still going to church on Sundays, but the the Churches they go to, they're like, I just don't feel like I can tell anyone because I really feel like I'll be rejected. (laughs) I feel like because they'll treat me like I'm diseased because I have a doubt. And Thomas felt like that. You might feel like it because you come and on a Sunday morning, other people are saying like, there are 10,000 reasons for their heart to sing, like the first song we sang went. And you're like, I can't find one single reason. I can't find one single reason for my heart to sing about Jesus. And so everyone else is like, you know, like, you know, all into it. And you're like, I, I'm not even present here. And that's Thomas. And oftentimes in that place, like I said, there's tremendous cynicism and also the feeling of separation. In Psalm 42, there's this absolutely incredible set of verses where David addresses this. Because for those, I think, who have tasted, maybe for Thomas, who at one time did, and, and now he's at this place of doubting, um, like so many friends that I've talked to even recently, maybe who be in a place of doubting, and they, they do long again for that, but they don't even know if they want to leave that option open. And that's, that's kind of where David's at here. In Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He's like, I'm available. <laughs> just just when, when can we hang out? And he says, my tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast of my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Right, this is David. This is King David. Right? A man after God's own heart. Right? Who we look back, and, and Jesus ultimately was going to be in the line of who? King David. Right, And he is here going, I used to lead people. I used to be the guy up there like leading everyone in worship. And he goes, now people are asking me, where is your God? And why are you downcast? This is the Bible dealing with your doubt, right? So if you have doubt, you are not the odd one out. You are not separate. There's no need to give into cynicism because the Bible is constantly addressing this, right? That you are human and that you're creating the image of God. And because of sin, you've experienced profound separation from him. And in that place of profound separation, as we even experience grace, there will be times when we we, we both are tempted by and we participate in that separation again, and that will lead to times of disturbing and profound doubt. 
And that's what David's going through here. That's reality. Right? You live here on a planet that is racked with pain and suffering because of sin. And you're going, to be, you're going to be confronted by that, maybe in the places you work, or the people you know, or things that happen in your own family. And, and what you have to know from these is, like, even though Thomas felt like he was odd and outside, I think those faithful witnesses probably were going, Thomas, we were right there, but he really is alive. <laughs> like, when, when the shepherd was struck, we all scattered too. We left him. We left Jesus for dead. But he is risen now. <laughs> right? So, so if you feel like you are odd and you are outside because you are doubting, that is not the message of the Bible. In Jude 1.22, it says, be merciful to those who doubt. Right? And that is huge. Right? Be merciful to those who are doubt. And so I want you to know, if you do doubt, there is always a place here for you. But a place here for you especially, and you'll feel like you can join in if there's that humility, right? Humility to seek and want answers, not just to... Because if you're cynical, you're just going to be, a, you know, not fun to spend time with, right? So if you come with the humility to go like, I do want to hear if there is an answer. But if you're coming and everyone's like, like, wow, that song sucks. <laughs> wow, that guy just used bad grammar, right, speaking. <laughs> You, you will always be able to do that, but if you come humbly, you will not be the odd one out. You'll be here along with the rest of us wanting to see Jesus. And Jesus meets that. Fourth observation. When the answer comes, this is what the answer looks like. When the answer comes, this is what the answer looks like. The answer is peace, not omniscience. And this is, this is the answer, peace, not omniscience. Through the whole Bible, the message of Scripture shared in the Old and New Testament is to seek peace and pursue it, right? When God made the world, he made us to enjoy peace and to love that. And the world is racked with not having peace. And the mark of grace and the mark of being welcomed into an answer not all-knowing, but to the answer is true peace. Does that make sense? And this peace is not built upon naturalism and the answer to that, but it's built upon the presence of Jesus. And, and the reason why I say it that way is this, is that faith is not, or what builds our faith, isn't like this catered meal, right? Like if you cater a meal with the coffee oasis, will make you most things you want, right? You could be like, Rocky is like, oh, no, we won't, um, right? You'd be like, we want, like, southern cooking. We'll make you southern cooking, right? But it's not like that when we come to Jesus. It's not like, okay, Jesus, this is where I've come. Come meet me here, right? Like, these are all my questions. Can you just check them off and answer them one at a time, Right? When we come back to faith, it's not this catered meal. And it might appear like that because John is able to touch his side. John's able to see his hands. But what Jesus says to him is this. Right after Thomas says, my Lord and my God, and he affirms that, he says this. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. He goes, there's going to be generations, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people who do not see me, John, but they're going to believe. So it doesn't have to come through that way. And 1 Peter, to us who don't get to put our hands on his hands and our hands in his side, it says this, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So the way this is met, the presence of Jesus, the way we get that peace again, that peace that, like it says in Philippians, passes all understanding, is this way. In John 14, it says, Jesus speaks, he says, all this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And he says this, 
by just saying, I'm leaving the spirit, the counselor with you, he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and afraid. And this is huge, guys. He goes, I do not give peace like the world gives peace. So don't expect me to give peace like the world gives peace. I could give peace to a certain extent, but if you rely on Daniel for peace, that peace will be temporary because Daniel is a man like every other man and I fail like every other man. But Jesus doesn't give peace like the world gives peace. I could give you a semblance of peace, right? Say, you don't have a place to stay, and I give you a place to stay for a little bit. There's peace for an amount of time. But what we always say when we talk about homelessness here with kids is that, is that a kid could have a home. We could give them a home, but they could still be homeless, right? <laughs> because there's no peace, <laughs> right? We could... People can get married thinking they're going to experience love the rest of their life, and they realize there's a lot of work that goes into that, right? It's not like, it's just like for us, and and what we share on this earth isn't this like enduring thing. And Jesus is going, I'm going to give you something enduring, but it is not like this world, because everything this world has to offer is temporary. But I'm going to give you something that is not temporary, and that is the Holy Spirit. Okay, and this is crazy because this is not the answer that we want. This is not the answer. that The answer we want is like, no, I had a question actually about, you know, the rate that, you know, DNA multiplies at. Or, you know, whatever. We're like, we're like I have one answer to this question. And Jesus is like, That's, that answer is only going to give you another question. And then that answer will only give you another question, but the peace I'm giving you is eternal. It's a different kind of peace. It's a different kind of peace than the world gives. But this is the thing. This is crazy. This is the kind of peace you were created to have as a person made in the image of God. And for so long, for so long, we will try, try everything every single thing possible to find a peace that excludes God. And the world is still trying. It's trying to make a way that we don't need him in the equation. And the crazy thing is the Bible isn't going, okay, we're going to meet that with like this cool rational argument that like you can prove God because of. But God's going, no, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is a peace that passes all understanding, but that is a true peace. And what that creates in... Thomas is, I'm calling, this is the last observation, an unhesitant heart, right? Because ultimately it wasn't seeing Jesus. It was when Jesus showed up and he says, peace be with you, right? And the the presence of Jesus that is again present in the Holy Spirit, that gives the confidence for us to say along with Thomas, my Lord and my God, And this is what we long for. This is what David longed for in Psalm 42 when he says, as the deer just longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for God. When can I go and meet with him? When can I go and meet with him? And that is is the longing of every true faith. When can I meet with God? I want him because only with him, only with the genuine presence of God, Will I have peace? There are false pieces that are offered within our conversations with one another, or even that we give to ourselves. And I just want to address one really quick, and that's, that's the false piece of passivity. Um, and I would also I would call it the false faith of passivity. And what that means is if something comes in your life and you address it with passivity, which means, like, I'm just going to kind of let that be and pretend like it's not there, Right? So there's some of you who, who are living with a really shakable faith right now, right? That if a doubt really came and really grabbed a hold of you, it would throw you for a loop because some of us are living with passivity as our faith, which means 
slowly along the way, doubts have come, or they've challenged us. And rather than addressing those things and going back to the Bible, right, and going to the conversation with those that are faithful witnesses and going, how do we work through this? How do we, again, fortify and build our foundation? We go, I'm just going to ignore those. And those things are building up. For some of us, it might sound like this. We'll go, oh, I'm just a simple soul, right? Right? I don't just think about all those lofty ideas. But the truth is you will at one point. Perhaps it will be a death in your family or it will be something huge that happens in your life where you are no longer allowed to live by passivity any longer. Does that make sense? Right? Something's going to hit you in such a severe way. It might be a relationship that you thought was so secure and then you realize that relationship isn't secure anymore. And all of a sudden you are rocked because you thought you could just let things go and then you realize... That was so tied to me, I can't let that go. And you, you're going to be really challenged by that. In James 1, it says this. It says, Consider it my pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. This is cool. Before we go to this last verse, it goes, ask God for wisdom, because he's not going to be like, oh, you don't know that already? (laughs) That's a stupid question. No. God's going to be like, yes, ask me questions. If you have a question, don't put it aside. Ask God. Figure that out. Work through it, right? Because if you don't, That will build up, because then this is what it says. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Right? So, I encourage you guys, if you are here, and so really addressing three people now, right? Both you who are here, who are struggling with doubt, I encourage you guys to doubt your doubts. Be people who are willing to seek God. Be be people who are willing to wait. Right? So much is done in haste. Be willing to be silent and to listen. And be willing to humbly ask. And for those who are faithful witnesses, I encourage you guys to absolutely enjoy the peace you have. Right, enjoy it, right, and fortify that and strengthen it while you're here. Spend time with Jesus because it makes a profound difference. In in my life, right, as your pastor, right, from week to week, it makes a huge difference. If I am in the word, if I'm spending time with Jesus, every difference in the world, right, because I'm fortifying that foundation, strengthening it. And if I'm not and I also ask the faithfulness is to not doubt when you are praying for the doubters. Right? To be a person that when you are praying for those who are doubting, right, the same God who has so graciously given you peace does give sight to the blind, does make the lame walk, did rise from the dead, and can restore the doubters completely. Right? And I think for some of us, we were those doubters who were restored completely. And so just turn around and give that grace and give that mercy to others. And then for you who are struggling maybe with passivity, right? Thinking that you're just getting by, thinking it's okay just to show up on a Sunday and be like, it's okay, I'm like, I'm doing it. <laughs> to be someone who, who really rejects passivity and goes, man, like, it might be some questions you have to ask yourself. Just as simple as like, man, do, do I really, like, am I really claiming God as Lord of my life? Is he, is he the king of my life or am I the king of my life? And those things, you start... Thinking through that, like David did when he says, just search me and know me, God. See if there be any wicked way of me and, and lead me in your way. Right? As you reject that passivity, your faith will be strengthened so much. And when, and when the stormy weather comes, and something hits you in your life, or you have a conversation with somebody, and it's just crazy, right? you won't be someone who's just blown about like the wind. But you'll be someone who, being built upon the foundation that's in Christ, will be secure. Um, The ending of the story for Thomas is a cool one. Uh, 
In the 16th century, a group of missionaries went to India thinking that they were going to be pioneering missions there, thinking they were going to be the first ones to really bring the gospel there. And when they landed, um, they found out that they weren't the first ones there. They heard a story that had been passed on since a Roman trading vessel landed in 520 A.D., or, yeah, 52, 52 A.D., which, uh, which was that Thomas had come and brought the gospel to India, right? So doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas, who we should remember as the first evangelist to India, was the man who brought the gospel there. And a faithful witness had been there without any exposure to the rest of the church till the 16th century, right? That's huge. That's over 1,500 years, right, of faithful witness because Thomas had met the risen Jesus. Um, but he'd met him and he'd believed in him and his doubting had been taken care of and he'd been restored completely and so he spread the gospel throughout the world, right? Taking to others who wouldn't know and would doubt the message that Jesus is alive. And so that's huge encouragement for you guys who are doubting, right? You can be restored completely also. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll take the gospel to a people who have never heard it before and that maybe could be just your neighbor. So um, let's pray together and then worship God, these things, uh, we just, I just commit to you immediately. God, these aren't things I enjoy talking about, and partly because in, in my own past, having conversations about doubt are so challenging, God. Um, God, I pray that, that even today, God, as we worship As maybe some of us just sit here as the songs go on and we, we ask, man, can I meet the risen Jesus like, like Thomas? Can I believe like Thomas did and have my life radically changed? God, I pray that your presence will be here by the power of the Holy Spirit just to restore us. And for those who are just enjoying your peace, just to be excited. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.